Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 through 8. Thus says the Lord, Cursed are those who trust in morals and make more flesh their strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord, they shall be a shrub in the desert. And they shall not see when relief comes. They shall live in parched places of the wilderness, in a uninhabited salt land. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust in the Lord they shall be like a tree planted by the water, spending its spending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when heat comes, and it shall leave its and its leaves shall stay green. In the in the year of drought it is not innoxious anxious and it does not cease to bear fruit. This is the word of the Lord. Oh man, nice job. How about a hand? That is really well done. There we go. (laughs) Hard words to put into the mouth of a kid. Nice job. Not much easier for us adults though, actually, if you think about it. Um, But that's what I want to talk to us about today. But I want to start by saying that... uh, I was pretty pitiful the other day, and I was going through the garage like you do every once in a while, trying to figure out what it is that you can get rid of and make space, and so I came across all this old sports equipment. You know what I mean? Lots of old soccer balls, lots of old baseball equipment, and I couldn't do it. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't get rid of all of it. I started going through it, as a matter of fact, and a couple of baseball bags there, and I looked through, and it was obviously one of Drew's little... Uh, Little League baseball bags. And I used to be the dad. I, we used to play with some of the folks who are actually in the room, families that are in the room. And I used to be the dad that would take it upon myself before every game uh, to go to the snack stand and get the various flavors of uh, bubble gum. Amen? Right? So there was the regular, there was the grape flavored, the watermelon flavored, and the sour apple. And I would always make sure to have a good variety of each, just as inclusive as I like to try to be. And uh, found in this bag, I don't know how old that gum was, but I found a whole bag of that, of that old gum. And I got to tell you, it did not taste good. <laughs> Couldn't help myself. Couldn't help myself. But it, was, it's, uh, it does not keep forever, apparently. Uh, 
I have enjoyed this series, and thank you for indulging me. I know some of you aren't big sports fans. In fact, this is a tough day for those of you who aren't sports fans uh, because it's the Super Bowl, and much like we do for a Mother's Day when we say, hey, let's be careful to be sensitive to the folks who, for whom motherhood has a terrible sort of feel. Also, we say the same things on uh, Father's Day. Maybe we should say, let's be aware of the, f- the folks who just hate sports balls uh, and uh, let's just be aware that they may not super enjoy uh, Super Bowl Sunday. But I, I, I like all this sports stuff. I, I find lessons in it. And, and I do. I have, I have these sort of, I guess you would call them even romantic feelings for baseball. Maybe it's the Little League stuff. I just, I just have so enjoyed it for the longest time. It was the sport I was least good at. I was terrible at it, frankly. But probably enjoyed the most at some level. I still... I still enjoy watching a baseball game. Really, doesn't matter how old the participants are. I, I love doing it. When we went on sabbatical in 2015, that's what we did. We just got in the car, and we drove from here to the northeast part of the country and caught all the baseball games we could, went to all those parks. And maybe that's what we'll do. The next time a sabbatical comes along, maybe that's what we'll do. We'll just go to another part of the country because I just, I just, I can't quit it, right? Uh any of you watch Ted Lasso at all? Got a few in there? You know, the guy that says, uh, football is life. I, I have heard people say, no, base, baseball is life. I, I, I saw a video this week, though, and it's going to end with a particular phrase, and I, and I want us to, to uh, pay attention to that. To believe a baseball field is the most pure, most peaceful place in the world. Many words could describe this dusty diamond, but none more telling than flawless. The perfectly squared bases, the chalk powdered lines, the neatly kept infield, and the endless outfield. All are part of a picture worth more than a thousand words. One that holds a scrapbook of photographs, a chest of keepsakes, and a book of stories. For some, It is about the internal magic that occurs from simply sitting in the stands. Baseball is the game that draws its patrons like no other, with a tireless grip that never stops gripping. Yet the average baseball fan only sees the game through the eyes of the television screen, the flashing cameras and overpaid players. They see baseball for something that it isn't, a business. But to many, baseball is about more than that. It's about their childhood, their dreams, their connection to life itself. They see the sport through the eyes of a jubilant little eager, and they live it from the stands. This is baseball. These are the fans. And here's the thing. I kind of get it. I kind of get it. I, I mean, I have similar feelings, Coach, for basketball. And I, I mean, I'm sure you can put another video together with like a whole lot like that one. I, I mean, I have great feelings for football. I, I love sports, but man, baseball. There's something about it. Now, what did strike me, though, is that line in Baseball We Trust. Okay, hang on a second. <laughs> We're just saying 
We just sang, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Well, not to give away the end of the sermon, but here's the end of the sermon, but you have to stay, okay? The question we're going to be asked today, helped along by the prophet Jeremiah, is this. In whom or in what have you placed ultimate trust? In whom or in what have you placed ultimate trust? And while we're all sitting here in a pretty sanctuary with the right kinds of stained glass around us, it, it doesn't necessarily mean it. You can, you can believe in Jesus. You can believe and find yourself nodding along with the words that Jesus would say, and yet it doesn't necessarily follow that you have placed your ultimate trust, like ultimate trust. Like I trust this Jesus character more than I trust anything else, anyone else. Like, I, I trust this Jesus character more than I trust baseball. Now, that may sound ridiculous, but we're going to hear a story later on about somebody who trusted baseball more. What about you, though? In whom or in what have you placed your sense of ultimate trust? And the reason this question and the answer, the reason these are, are so tricky is because a lot of times what, what might go into that, that blank right there the answer to that question is normally not something bad. It's normally something good. Right? I trust my family. That is good. I trust uh, a good work ethic. That is good. Like I, I trust what I do for a living. That's also good. But man, what if that's your ultimate trust? What, what, what kind of prices are we paying when that is our ultimate sense or source of trust? Uh, have you seen this movie? Ever seen that one? I, I mean, I think you can, you can read or you can watch this movie, and it is sort of a tournament of trust in, in some sense or another. So uh, let me see if I can do this right. I don't know if I can. Well, the bottom right-hand corner, it's Scotty Smalls. And in the early 60s, Scotty's mom and stepdad moved him to a neighborhood in Los Angeles. So here is this kid, alone, isolated, moves to a new city, and really doesn't seem like he knows who to trust. As the story will kind of flesh itself out, it's obvious he doesn't yet completely trust his stepdad. He's not sure he trusts his circumstances. He does spot a group of ragtag kids playing baseball. He doesn't know how to play baseball. He doesn't know if he can trust these kids, but he wanders out there anyway, and sure enough, they're, they're not nice to him. Uh, nice to him. In fact, I guess you could say they don't trust him. They don't trust him to catch the ball. <laughs> they don't trust him to be able to throw the ball back to second base. That's a big deal earlier in the film. But the biggest kid here in the middle, Benny, he actually makes the first move where building trust is concerned. I like this part. You ever have a paper out? I helped the guy once. Okay. Well... Chuck it like you would throw a paper. When your arm gets here, just let go. Just let go. It's that easy. How do I catch it? Just stand there and stick your glove out in the air. I'll take care of it. It's about time, Benny. My claws are going out of style. There you are, Swiss. Shut up. Told you, Benny. Smalls, throw it to second. Okay. Oh, 
seems a little bit of a metaphor for how the rest of the movie will kind of work itself out slowly but surely they do in fact learn to build trust in one another as a matter of fact they learn how to do life together that is sort of the question that we're going to be asked today how are you navigating your life that's another way of asking the same question in whom or in what have you have i have we taken together placed an ultimate sense of trust because you can have a wrong answer there, good people. Does everybody know that? There can be a wrong answer, a bad answer, a terrible answer there. And, and if, we don't, if we don't have the right answer to that question, then trouble lies dead ahead. This is what Jeremiah is saying. This is what Jeremiah is, is asking, and not just of his current context, and we'll talk about that in a second, but Jeremiah is reaching across time to ask you that same question, to ask me that same question. Have you thought recently about where you have placed your ultimate sense of trust? Jeremiah is a little bit of a political outsider. He's, he's probably not allowed very often inside the throne room where the king sits, and so he is saying to the king, hey, don't make deals. Don't make political deals as if somehow politics, as if somehow politics and, the, and the, uh, the, uh, the tournament of power is going to determine where you should put your ultimate sense of hope. The Babylonians have already started to invade. And so, in, in an attempt to try to strike a deal because the king at the time believed more in power than he did in God, and by the way, still there are people perhaps sitting in pews everywhere, who believe more in power than they believe in God. The king said, you know what we're going to have to do against these Babylonians? We're going to have to strike up an alliance with Egypt. With Egypt. And if we just, if we just strike up this alliance with Egypt, maybe there'll be just enough muscle there to win the day. And we will continue to navigate life according to this question of trust. We will demonstrate that we have a deep an unrelenting trust in power, and that's how we'll navigate forward. And Jeremiah is saying, oh no, this, this, is, this is how you fail. This is how you fail. Misplaced trust, friends, is how you fail. Listen to this. Verse 1 in chapter 17 the sin of Judah is written with an iron pen, with a diamond point. With a diamond point, it is engraved on the tablet of their hearts and on the horns of their altars. Wow, sounds permanent. While their children remember their altars and their sacred poles, he's talking now about the capacity that Israel has, that Judah has, to worship other gods and to participate in other faith systems. While their children remember their altars and their sacred poles beside every green tree and on the high hills. It says down there in, in verse 4, 
Because of this, I will make you serve your enemies in a land you do not know. This is God speaking. This is tough. For in my anger, a fire is kindled that shall burn forever. Whoa. It must be serious. This question of trust and the the place that you have decided to place your trust, it, it, it must be a very serious, important question because God seems to be exercised enough to say, man, when, when my people who should know better prefer their news networks over the words of Scripture, over their faith in Christianity, over the values we see demonstrated in the picture of God that we see most clearly in the face of Jesus, when my people who sh- should know better choose poorly, I don't know how else to say it. It seems to really upset God. Is that fair? Where have you placed your ultimate sense of hope, your ultimate sense of trust? God keeps on. Thus says the Lord, cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and make mere flesh their strength, whose hearts turn away from the Lord Here's what they're like. They shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when relief comes. They shall live in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Man, uh, I know it's Kid Sunday. (laughs) I, I know it's Kid Sunday. I am not sure that it's not a good thing for kids or for kids' parents to hear this message from Jeremiah. I think it's probably good for us, as a matter of fact. In fact, while they're all here, guys, let's just go ahead and introduce them to the iceberg. Amen? Amen. Now, Mark, I'm going to need you to advance that one slide. Now, Jeremiah's going to change the metaphor. We're not going to stick with We're not going to stick with an iceberg today. We're going to do this. But it's kind of the same thing, right? It's it's really kind of the same thing. So like the iceberg has the top part you can see, then it has just beneath the surface of the water, and then there's the biggest part of the iceberg, which is well beneath the water. Similarly, what you have when you have a, let's say, a shrub. You have the top part you can see, but that top part you can see is somehow supported and nourished in one way or another by the root structure, And the root structure itself, the health of that root structure, is going to be determined by the kind of soil that the plant, that the roots are in. We're having the same conversation, but a different metaphor, right? And and here is what Jeremiah is saying. Your trust, the soil that you have planted this tree in, your trust is misplaced. It's misplaced. You have planted in the wrong soil. And when you plant in the wrong soil, if you have placed your trust in the wrong place, then what you're going to get out of that is particular motivations, and eventually you're going to get actions. And in this case, the action you get is the king trusting something or someone other than the voice of God. Make some sense? But what happens today if you've heard me ask this question over and over and over again? What happens today if you recognize sitting where you are that your trust has been placed in something or someone other than where it ought to be? What, what, what can you do? Well, turns out 
here in Oklahoma City, there is such a thing as a replanting tree relocation service. Now, I did a little checking for you. If you have a tree of, they say, medium to large size, it's going to cost you at the minimum 800 bucks up to $2,000 to relocate a tree. It did not cost us quite that much to relocate the survivor tree from the office where I was just about to kill the survivor tree, which would not have looked good on my resume, right, to kill. We actually got a little piece of the survivor tree from downtown, and, and we bought it, and we planted it because we want to someday have our own survivor tree, and somehow I was watering it too much, and so... Zach and Natalie rescued it, and it is flourishing there. But it had to be relocated. It had to be replanted. Here's the thing. The epiphany part of the sermon goes like this. Great news, everybody. Someone planted in the wrong soil can be replanted. A church planted in the wrong soil can be replanted. Now, I won't call this bad news, here's the reality. I I think that process is hard and perhaps takes a long time, but it's good. And it's doable. It's doable. Because we say this in a variety of ways each week, and I'll say it again this week. God does most of the heavy lifting. You, You have to show up. But because we believe what we believe, because we know to be true, that this God is grace. That grace is in it for the long haul, even if it means the long haul of replanting you. And here's the thing. You got to do it. Let me, let me say it as clearly as I know how. There is judgment for any of us and all of us who have planted in the wrong soil. If your hope if your deepest sense of trust is in anything other than the heart and the nature of God seen most clearly in the face of Christ, if your hope and trust is anywhere else, that ultimate sense of trust, you are walking into tough times, judgment even. And you need to do something about it. If you are not planted in the right kind of soil, Regardless of your age, listen to me. You've got to do something about it. God will help you. I promise. But you need to do something about it. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when heat comes, and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious, and it does not cease to bear fruit. Let me remind us again that when you plant in the right soil, it doesn't mean that there won't be a drought. It doesn't mean that there won't be heat. In fact, let let me say this to you. Christians of all ages from lots of different corners of the world, of all stripes, here in the room and listening out there, here's the thing, here's the thing. Drought is coming in your life one way or another. There's drought coming. There's heat coming. You won't have all good days. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I thought God's mind about me was made up and the news is good. Yes. And you want to know when that will feel like the best kind of news? On your worst day. Your bad days are coming. If somehow you've been able to avoid a bad day until now, buckle up, y'all, because it's coming. 
Tough times are coming. There is coming. At some point in your life, there will be drought. And here's how I know this. I'm breathing. I'm alive. And folks who are alive and breathe and tell the truth will tell you, some days are good and some days are really awful. That doesn't mean that God is upset with you. That's just life. The soil conversation is so important because life is what life is. Seasons of drought. Seasons of refreshing rain. Seasons of searing heat that crack the soil. But also seasons of good, plush, cool breezes. The soil conversation is important because life happens. Here's a quote that stunned me, and I, I bet I read this quote a hundred times. Again, from Walter Brueggemann. He said, the destiny of either life or death is determined by the object of one's trust. And maybe I'm the only one in the room, but can I just tell you why this got to me like it did? He seems to be saying that we will play a hand. We will play a hand in our own destiny, whether or not we have a life that is marked by life or dead and deathly circumstances. Now, the easier thing to do is just to say, oh, no, God's going to flip all those switches, and it doesn't really matter what I do. But we don't believe that and have never believed that. In fact, what we would say is this. No, no, no. No, no, no. Yes, God's mind about you is made up of the news is good, but you might be self-inflicting your wounds. Doesn't mean that God's mind about you is, is not made up. Doesn't mean that God's upset with you. But hear me. If you, parent, are modeling for your child a misplaced trust, then not only are you headed for disaster, you are pointing your kids in the wrong direction. Can I ask a really tough question? Are you pointing your kids in the wrong direction? I'll ask it again. Where have you placed your trust? Psalm 1 says it like this. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in season, and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. Verse 4, but the wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. Hey, that doesn't mean that there won't be wind where the other tree is concerned. There will be wind. But therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is heavy stuff. Because I know you are a lot like me. I I want to come into the sanctuary and hear that God will rescue me. And hear this. God can and will rescue you. You need to show up for the rescue. I also think that this God honors your humanity, the capacity that you have to choose, and also will walk with you as you walk into 
judgment. God will walk with you because God's mind about you is made up and the news is good. So God will be a companion to you even as you walk into your self-constructed hell. Whoa. Okay, let's go back to this and then, John, come on. I would say to you that relocation, transplantation, <laughs> is possible. I think I just made up a word. Is transplantation a word? It can be. Yeah. It's possible. It's, it's possible because God is both good and strong. It's possible because God is good, strong, loving, gracious, and does not give up. The hound of heaven does not give up. It's possible. I'm not saying it'll be easy. I'm not saying there won't be terrible prices to pay. But relocation into better soil is possible. And you can do a shovel full today if you'd like. Today. I'm a Texas Rangers fan, which means that I've not celebrated in 100 years. I remember when they drafted Drew Robinson. 2010, they drafted Drew Robinson. Hot shot outfielder. 19 years old when they drafted him. They loaded onto this kid a lot of hope and expectation. Has to be heavy for a 19-year-old. Saying to him, we are a terrible organization, but we're sure you can fix us all. <laughs> and they picked the right guy because not only was he wildly talented, but for better or for worse, this was a guy who was going to give it all to baseball. All. This is a guy who gave it all to baseball. I, you could say, you could say that there was at least a time in Drew Robinson's life when he gave maybe too much to baseball. Maybe you could even say it like this. Maybe Drew Robinson placed his ultimate trust in baseball. When Drew Robinson takes the field, we know he may make it back to Major League Baseball or he may not. Either way, it won't be the challenge of his lifetime. He is a resilient reminder that anyone can struggle and hurt, and they can also overcome. His story hits hard because it hits home. Las Vegas is the setting for Drew Robinson's rise, his rock bottom, his return. One of the promises I made to myself this time around is just soaking it all in and letting all the emotions come out, good or bad, and. Um, I'm, I'm just so happy to be here. In April of 2020, Drew's attempt at suicide was miraculously not meant to be. UMC and UNLV doctors repaired him. The community restored him. The ball player who lost an eye saw a vivid purpose as a global advocate for mental health and a shot at a comeback. The way I did it um, should not be here. And I, I recognize that and I that's another reason why I'm not taking anything for granted and I'm trying to live this out the best way possible. It's easy to doubt whether he can reclaim a career, but clearly this Las Vegan has mastered the art of beating the odds. Being able to come home and just get that first, those first reps in front of everybody was, uh, it was just powerful. The story is cinematic, but the strikeouts still sting. When I make a mistake, it's really easy to say that's because I have one eye, but 
have to do a really good job of reminding myself that I, I made mistakes even when I had two eyes. So when the new Drew rocked his first hit, do you think it was rewarding? Yes, it was. Even though I told myself to let it all out, I just had to like really hold back from just like almost running up to the stands and giving my family some hugs. So um, I gave him a nice little point and I recognized them. And they recognized him as a competitor with candor and courage, standing in the outfield and standing for so much more. I still have a lot of work to do, I would say, and I know that this is like a never-ending battle with with some some dark thoughts, but I've come so far in 13 months, so it just excites me. Drew Robinson. 13 months after he tried to end his story, we're all better for Drew Robinson's brave new beginning. By the way, he's still in the San Francisco Giants farm system, and he has recently, as last May, hit his first home run on his way back. There's a sense in which he can see better now than he could two years ago. Does that make some sense? There's a sense in which he can see better now than two years ago. If you want to hear more about his story, there is an ESPN 60 story just about him, and I would recommend it. Another passage I could have read is this. See if these words sound familiar. And did you know that these were about trust? Jesus looked up to his disciples and he said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. And now we are to that point in our liturgy today when God gives each of us a chance to replant. Even if it's just a, a shovel's full of dirt today, time around this table is meant to reroute us in a different story, the one that makes the most sense, the one that makes the most sense for us to give our lives and our hope to, the one that makes the most sense for us to ultimately trust it's a story of grace, and so if you are helping us today, please come and let's set this table. Heavenly Father, help us now. Give us the strength and the courage to know whether or not we have been rooted in the wrong kinds of soil. Help us to have the courage to ask ourselves, or in fact, God, have, help us to have the courage to listen as you ask us this very difficult question about hope and ultimate trust. Yes, Lord, this may seem like a moment of judgment, but it is judgment that is absolutely drenched in grace. You invite us back to the table. You invite us back saying, wherever you have been, I just want you to know you're always going to be welcome here at home. And so may there be people in this room today or people listening in today who would sense, yep, I've wandered away. I have made the mistake of trusting in something or someone else other than your voice, God. May those people hear another invitation to come home 
and to begin the process, or to begin again the process of rerooting in better soil. In a moment, I'm going to ask all of you who will to come forward, all of you who would like to. If you're wondering whether or not you're welcome, here's the, here's the answer to that question. If you recognize your need for grace, then yes, this is the right place for you. You may not feel comfortable coming down front, and if you don't, that's perfectly fine. These people in the aisles have prepackaged elements, and that works just as well. If you would like to, take one of those prepackaged elements, just keep your seat. But as soon as everybody starts to come down, go ahead and take communion there. It works just as well. If you are coming down front, please come down with your hands cupped, because again, that's what this story is. It's a story of grace. You don't have to grab it snatch it, buy it, charge it. It comes to you as a gift out of the overflowing, the heart of a giving God. As you get close, right here would be Pastor Lisa. She's going to place a bit of bread into your hands and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. But don't eat it just yet. If it's over here, it's going to be Sam who's going to say, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Dip that piece of bread into the cup and then take and eat. And then go find a place to continue this prayer. Continue to allow God to ask you where you have placed your sense of ultimate trust. And if it's not in the heart of God, then listen as God says, we'll always have room for you at this table. Always. We'll always have room for you at this table. As long as it takes. As long as it takes. I will be with you, says God in this process of replanting. It was on the night he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, including today, remember me, says Jesus. Later on, he took the cup, held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, including today, remember me. Maybe all of us are a little bit guilty today. Me too. What a perfect time to hear that I am, that you are, that we are still welcomed around this table. So now if you would across the sanctuary now, if you'll stand to your feet, you will be, uh, you will be dismissed by row to come down front to receive these gifts of God meant for the people of God.
Dr. Rieger, can you just play Tis So Sweet? There's a line that just keeps getting through me that, oh, for grace to trust him more. I, I want us to remember that this relocation of my root system into a different soil, it, you may sense that something needs to change quickly, but please know that it's a process, and wherever you are in and on that process, that's okay. It's okay to pray for grace, to trust him more. It's in the song because it's true. So just hear that as Dr. Regan plays it. a few words of confession before turning it over to Jason, who then will hand it over to Lisa for kids' prayers and the Lord's Prayer. Heavenly Father, we confess that at times we trust the wrong things. Sometimes we trust the wrong people. It's one of those situations, God, where you kind of just wake up and realize that you have planted in the wrong place. You didn't mean to, it was never intentional, but you wake up and find yourself planted in the wrong place. And perhaps there are people who don't know quite what to do. Well, may they know that you are just as, may they know that you are more concerned and more willing to help than any of us could imagine. May they lean into your grace now and recognize that wherever we have found ourselves planted, God can work with that. God can work with with us there. So if you would, church, just take a few moments now and pray your own prayer of confession. I'll close this moment of prayer and turn it over to Jason after that. Almighty God, have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of the Spirit, keep us in eternal life. During these moments of our prayers of intercession, I'm actually going to do something a little bit different this morning. Rather than intercession, it's going to be a prayer of commissioning. I'll pray for some in the life of our church before we pray for the offering. But before I hand over for Lisa, we're going to get a chance as a church to pray a prayer of commissioning for Pastor Britt Bullerjack, who will be joining on a sabbatical starting tomorrow morning. Pastor Britt has served with us here at OKC First Church for over seven full-times a year, seven years of full-time service, and has been approved by our church board. So she'll be starting tomorrow morning a sabbatical. Part of that sabbatical, she'll be leaving and joining some of our friends at Heirloom East Bay, some Nazarene pastors in the East Bay near San Francisco. And so she's going to have some time of quiet retreat 
time with Pastor Aaron and then time with her baby Shiloh. And so I know that Pastor Britt's watching now in her office serving as our online pastor. So she's not in here with us, but she is with us here in spirit. And so in these moments, I would just like to ask you, if you would commit to pray for Pastor Britt Bullerjack during her time of sabbatical, would you please stand? I'm asking most of our college students to stand at this time if you would do that. But if you would pray for Britt during these next seven or eight weeks of her time away, she's going to be rejoining us for Easter of Sunday morning. I hope that we can maybe have a shot from the live stream crew that would be kind of that wide shot so Pastor Britt can see the sorts of people who will be joining her in prayer during these moments and also praying for Shiloh and praying praying for Pastor Aaron. But let join me in prayer during these moments and then I'll say amen and you can sit down and Pastor Lisa will lead us in our kids' prayers. But we wanted to take these moments today to say our love for Pastor Britt, for Pastor Aaron, for the little one Shiloh and for the time that we hope that God will hide her away in the Lord's heart during a time of sabbatical. So pray with me. Jesus, we thank you so much for the gift of Britt Bullerjack to Oklahoma City First Church of the Nazarene. From since she was 16 years old and came as a teen to Pastor John's youth group, and now over these last number of years of full-time service, to so many of us, especially our college students, God, we ask that in this time, of a way during a sabbatical service time that you would bless Brit with your loving and abiding presence. That God, this would be a time of rest and renewal, of a reshaping and a replanting of her life. That God, you would speak to her and renew her spirit. That God, you would be with her relationship with Aaron. Lord, with her relationship with her new child, Shiloh. And God, we ask for all of the Bullerjack family, and all in the Bullerjack home, and all who love Brit, as we give our lives to pray for her during this time. So God, we ask that you would bless Brit Bullerjack in your love and in your care. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to go ahead and sit down and lean into Pastor Lisa as she prays for our kids during our kids' prayers. Thank you, Pastor Jason. Again, um, we have our kids' prayers for you, the ones that they have prayed over this last month. They're not all listed. That would be quite long, but I have chosen a few. And some of them will be on the screen in front of you. You can view them that way, but I also will be praying them aloud. So dear Lord Jesus, hear our prayers. I pray that I have a good birthday party with my friends and family. Lord, I pray that my family doesn't get COVID anymore and we all stay healthy. Jesus, I pray for easy homework because sometimes it's hard for me. I pray that my school does well on their performance testing. Jesus, I pray for unity so that we all have a good time and get along. Lord Jesus, help me not to be afraid at night so that I can sleep. Jesus, I miss my friend who moved away. I pray that my baby sister doesn't get sick again. She's been through a lot. Dear Lord, I pray that my smashed toe will heal quickly. Heavenly Father, I pray that my dad's pinky gets better. Lord Jesus, I pray that my grandma's surgery goes well so that she can feel better. Jesus, I love my mom, and I pray that she gets home safely from Tulsa. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for our kids. They minister to me. 
Their childlike faith touches my heart. I am so blessed by them. Thank you for the gift that they are to us all, to this church. And I pray, Lord, and I trust them to you. I know that you are working in and through them, in and through their hearts. You are growing them. May they learn, Lord, to put their roots deep into you, into your soil. And that they can trust you. You are doing a good work in each and every one of them. And Lord, I pray now that they will trust in you with all of their heart. And they will lean not on their own understanding, but in all their ways they will acknowledge you. And that you, Lord, will direct their their paths. And now will you join me in saying the Lord's Prayer together as Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily prayer. Forgive us as we forgive those. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.